Dave Max Cork History Matters, brought to you by Red FM. Gabriel Doherty, UCC historian, thank you for joining me again on this Cork History Matters podcast. Uh, we're on episode three of our look at the events of 1920, uh, an astounding year in the history of Cork. If we might review somewhat, and if I could connect it to where we are right now in terms of pandemic, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, end of 1919 was, was the, roughly the second wave of of Spanish flu, as it was then? R- roughly speaking. And, of course, remember, it wasn't simply uh, the Spanish flu. There were other uh, forms of disease which were circulating at the time. In fact, uh, th- there is a record uh, of an outbreak, I believe, of uh, bubonic plague. Wow. Uh, a single reference to an incident of bubonic plague in Dublin uh, at the time. So uh, infectious diseases were not surprising in the aftermath of, of a TB, war. the Irish. T- tuberculosis, of course, uh, also rampant. So from, from a simple public health point of view, and of course, with all the dislocations in terms of uh, what had happened, what was happening in Cork in 1920, uh, the provision of public health services, which were never particularly satisfactory, were, were detrimentally uh, impacted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the waves uh, decreased in their intensity in the Spanish flu, much as they appear to be doing with coronavirus. Well, we won't speak too soon yeah, about exactly, that, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, like, so by no, in, over the course of 1920, Spanish flu is receding as yes. a thing, as, yes. a, as, as a real impact on people's yeah. lives. It, it is, but again, I'd stress the, the point that in terms of the number of people just dying, as it were, from ordinary causes, such as infectious diseases, uh, were at a far higher level than they are today. In terms of life expectancy, uh, even in the space of that 100 years, I mean, you're talking about 12 to 13 years, the average life expectancy now, uh, it's gone up, I think, into the into the 80s, where it was the, it was the, the okay. late 60s. And, and it, depending on which particular part of the city, if you were in a city cork, uh, your life expectancy would be would be lower again than that. So. Okay, but just to for the context of the times, they yeah. were going through a pandemic. You know, all the time that we've read that history in school or heard yeah. it or documentaries, whatever. I don't know if any of us actually, first of all, would have been able to relate mm-hmm. to what it meant to be in a pandemic yeah. as we can now. Uh, but it's just and inter- that goes that goes for historians. Yes, too. yes, <laughs> uh, and it's just interesting now to consider that as yes. as a factor and and, and an element. Um, you know, I don't. Sorry, I, I'm I'm tempted to get diverted down into that, like where, <laughs> where churches closed and were yeah. people gathering and when mm-hmm. did it how did it all go but look at that's another thing I just want to briefly review because the main subject or the main topics for us to tackle here certainly we'll touch on Bloody Sunday how can you not because we, we finished in episode 2 uh, at, at the the funeral of Terence McSweeney and all of that story uh, and we left the cliffhanger there and here we pick it up and it'll be a, a, a look at Bloody Sunday although of course that's not a, a cork affair but it, uh, you know it, it, it's such a huge event and, and we've just passed the commemoration of that the 100 year anniversary and we approach the 100-year anniversary of Kilmichael, which is a huge event as well. And then we lead up to the burning and, and, it, and it almost sees us out for, for 1920. What a year in, in Irish history. Certainly what a year for Cork history and that's why we're focused on it. But a brief review, you know, we went through uh, Solo Head Beg was in 1990, but 1920 is the year where the War of Independence really takes off. It's very much centred in Southern Ireland and we've a whole range of events that we talked about. Uh, you know, barracks in Middleton and the like being taken over uh, by the IRA, pushing the uh, RIC back into the city. Uh, we've the assassination of uh, Lord Mayor Tomás McCurtain in his home in Blackpool in, in, in roughly March type time. Mm-hmm. 
a shocking event. Black and Tans arrive around that time. The auxiliaries not long after them. It all escalates from there. Like, to see the photos of the city with the barbed wire around the courthouse yes. and Washington Street and uh, Cork City Hall, a, f- a frequent target, shots fired at the at the clock uh, regularly. Uh, yeah. It's just insane to think of the city being I, I, like And the that. curfew, remember, this is this is something which is an ever-present reality from uh, July onwards. The, the British, in the aftermath of the shooting of... The, the RSE District Inspector Smith in the Country Club on the South Mall. Uh, the the British impose a curfew from 10pm to 3am. So if you were abroad uh, during those hours, uh, for whatever reason, uh, you, if you didn't stop on request and identify yourself, you could be shot out of hand. Uh, and there were a, a number of people who for whatever reason, found themselves abroad and, and were, pot shots were taken at them and they did have a couple of fatalities. So anybody, let's say a doctor or a, a midwife who was uh, called out uh, to deal with the medical emergency, uh, it was were taking their life in their hands. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the, the 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 medical in, insignia or the or, yeah. or a white flag or something didn't didn't. didn't well, count. I mean, that that's what they would have to do, and they would have to even then proceed very very cautiously, gingerly through yes, the streets. Absolutely. Um, uh, McSweeney takes over from McCurtain following his death. Uh, we went through his story, uh, the the long hunger strike, the the world impact that that had, the way the British had learned their lessons after the funeral of McCurtain and decided that well they really played games with the funeral of, of McSweeney he was yeah. supposed to be shipped back to Dublin only over the docks in Bristol perhaps it was um, where, Hollyhead Hollyhead where yeah. they told that no 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 you're, you're go- uh, left on the quayside in Cove it's incredible yeah. stuff yeah. Um, so the city celebrated the McSweeney funeral or, 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 or stood out for him but in a different way not quite as say mili- so, so, so well, you can take it, it from there it, there was a massive turnout for the McSweeney funeral uh, the restrictions that the army imposed was on the cortege specifically the number of people who could follow ah. in the cortege mm-hmm. and the insistence that there could be no military formations so you couldn't have the large numbers of volunteers turning out in, in uniform and marching behind um uh, the cortege, but it's in terms of simple number of of individuals who are crowding the streets, uh, in terms of the floral displays that were sent, in terms of the numbers of messages of condolences. As you say, it's, it's a global event. I mean, mm. I've looked at the, some of these messages, and and it takes a long time to work through them because there are so many of them. But they're coming from they're coming from Norway, they're coming from South Africa, they're coming from Latin America, Catalonia. Was uh, yes, place yes. I mean, I mean, it's it's really it's really striking. And this. Puts Cork absolutely in terms of, of public attention, not just in Ireland, not just in the United Kingdom, but in Europe and globally, uh, as the the very centre point of uh, news coverage of of what's happening in Ireland. And let me ask you for the famous McSweeney quote. Uh, I presume it, it it it's right to be attributed to him, and I may not get it right, so please help me with this, if you would, Gabriel. It's not how much you can suffer. It's to yeah. it's <laughs> not those who can inflict the most. I mean, I, I can't. There is it's you the, the actual uh, form in which it's rendered in the the printed version. Uh, of his speech because it was the speech he delivered at his inauguration as Lord ah, Mayor. Right, okay. It's not necessarily the same as it's popularly remembered, okay. but it's ger- generally remembered. It's not those who can inflict the most, but those who can endure the most who, who uh, will uh, win uh, out. And of course, certainly Cork was enduring yes. a huge amount at that point. Um, uh, the Forgotten Lord Mayor is the recently released book by yeah. A. Quinlevin. Yeah. Talks of O'Callaghan is yeah. now Lord Mayor, the third Sinn Féin Lord Mayor of the city in, in one year. Mm. Um, so where are we at following McSweeney's funeral? 1st of November? 
1st of November is, is the funeral. That also happens to be the day on which Kevin Barry is executed in Dublin. Of course, this introduces an even more sinister aspect to the proceedings because uh, it's now a case that the British, if you're captured uh, in arms, not even necessarily in the way that Kevin Barry was conducting an ambush, but if you had a, a weapon on your person or, or ammunition, uh, then you could be executed, and a number were. And, of course, one, a legal question is whether this constituted a simple war crime. Uh, execution of prisoners by any uh, standard of military law is, is a war crime. Um, the, the IRA. Even though we weren't under military law at, at that point, so it would have been civil law. But so. it's, it's interesting that the British themselves went to court subsequently to get a declaration from their own courts that a state of war existed, because that would that would have retrospectively enabled them to take legally the steps that they took. So the British wanted it both ways. They wanted, legally speaking, to have a state of war existed, to exist which would enable them to do certain things. But they wanted to deny the IRA belligerent rights uh, and the right to be recognised as, as an army, uh, an organised army, an organised military force, and that would protect them in terms of execution. Uh, Kevin Barry, famously a young medical student at UCD and made yes. famous uh, by, by ballad and song and yes. commemorated in that fashion. And yet the event in which he was captured at saw the, the well, I suppose, you know, do you call it the murder well, of, of a 16-year-old Irishman who was a well, an RIC I mean, member? In the sense, it's an act of war. Uh, the, well, again, I, I come back to the point that, as far as the British were concerned, their acts were justified because a state of war existed, uh, and they sought a court order to to direct that that was so. But they refused to recognise that the IRA could conduct themselves. But certainly, I mean, you did have. So, in other words, they were justified, but the IRA weren't. Exactly. It's just funny, you know, because you know people will have sung that ballad, and you know he's a hero in the in the foundation myth of the state, no yep. question. Yep. And yet, the event he was involved in saw the. The, the killing, uh, I mean, it, it's perhaps not fair to say cold blood, but but certainly the killing well, of, an ambush. I mean, of, of a boy, an ambush, yeah. of a boy in, in uniform. Yes. yes. Uh, and who's not remembered. No, he's not remembered. And and I suppose there's, well, I suppose on the British side, there are, there were acts of remembrance at the time. Mm. Certainly if anybody who, any British soldier who's taken back. It's all a murky story, I it suppose. Is, it is, and, and, and inevitably... Uh, I suppose to the extent to which the Irish state is the successor and the inheritor of the Republican campaign, inevitably there has been a focus on those who fought on the Republican side. But I think, uh, as a historian, I, I think it is becoming the... Or everybody should be remembered. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, uh, sort of, if you believe in the principle of equality as a Republican principle, then then you have to accept that in death everybody is equal. And does that tie in with the controversy that we had last year, where there was talk of of let's uh, commemorate through these years as well those who died, uh, uh, the Irishmen who died serving the Royal Irish Constabulary well, at the time? Because that think, did cause a well, it, kerfuffle, it did. I, didn't I, it? I think, well, it's earlier this year, I, I think the controversy there isn't so much those sort of remembering simple people who, who fall. Uh, I think the bigger controversy that was there was as we're honouring the institution itself mm. uh, and, and celebrating uh, the institution uh, and giving it full state recognition. Mm. Something, for example, when the 
Irish Volunteers, the centenary of the, of the formation of the Irish Volunteers back in 2013, uh, was not marked by a, still, a full state ceremonial event. So it seemed to be placing the RIC uh, mm. on a higher plane, as an institution does, yes. in terms of individual casualties, but uh, as an organisation, on a higher plane. And than, yet, of than, course, there's a, the part of you can almost see why a government would want to do that. Uh, the official body, as yeah. opposed to a you know, a collective that sprang to create an action of their own outside yeah. of the Well, state. I suppose, I mean, one of the themes of, of the decade of centenaries has been as a conscious attempt to reconcile and, mm. and the theme of reconciliation. Mm. But, of course, that has to cut both ways. Mm. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to expect the British government uh, to start commemorating the IRA of the War of Independence. Well, despite uh, Steve Coogan as Alan Partridge's well, best yes, attempts. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> First of November, McSweeney's funeral. Kevin Barry executed on that day. Yes. Uh, you know, we we lead up to the twentieth of November for Bloody Sunday, and, and yeah. that really escalates yeah. everything. What happens in the intervene? Well, period? what happens in the intervene is it just a constant pattern of ambushing, sniping, reprisals, and it's mainly in the south, is it? Because there was a sense around Bloody Sunday that the war had come to Dublin. Well, I mean, it's happening in Dublin as well. Okay. Uh, I mean, for example, the ambush which Kevin Barry was was arrested, which has happened weeks before, of course, remember, mm. uh, was part of a, a, a broader pattern, which is not surprising. And that was a Dublin incident. It was a Dublin incident, and it's not surprising because that's that's where the the Royal Irish Constabulary had their headquarters, the Dublin Metropolitan Police had their headquarters, the British Army, even though their headquarters technically would be the Curra, but had a huge establishment in Dublin. So there were plenty of targets for the IRA. Uh, but in terms of... The, the general campaign, particularly in rural areas, uh, there, there wasn't as much in rural parts of Leinster, for example, as there was in rural parts of Cork, Tipperary, Limerick, uh, let's say. So certainly the, the monster focus was very, very strong. Mm. So during those weeks between the uh, funeral of McSweeney and Bloody Sunday, you, you just had this constant undercurrent. Uh, I mean... There are relatively few incidents which stand out as being sensational. Uh, but I would qualify that statement by saying in any other year, many of these incidents mm. would have stood out as sensational. If you have military forces engaging each other uh, in firefights, if that had happened in 1912 or 1906 or whenever, it would have been regarded as a, as a not a sensation. So it's a, a measure of just how far things had changed in Ireland and in Cork during 1920, that what would 10 years ago have been a sensation was regarded almost as the norm uh, in those early weeks uh, of November. Uh, one point I certainly would make, and this is where thinking forward towards the, the burning of Cork, is that reprisals uh, were now in effect part of standard policy. The, the 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 official reprisals policy where you did actually have a, an imprimatur from the British government directing troops to carry out reprisals happens after Christmas but so frequent were these reprisals occurring with with utter impunity that even before then uh, it was pretty clear that the government at the, at the, the very worst was turning a blind eye uh, to what was going on and that was of course encouraging so throughout uh, these early weeks you have a whole series of of attacks uh, going on uh, or engagements between the IRA and, and the British. And even where the British didn't lose any men, for example, in some of these engagements, uh, they would burn down the local creamery uh, or they would burn down the houses of known IRA or Sinn Féin members or sympathisers uh, in the locality. And if they couldn't find either, they would simply burn something. Uh, 
And that occurred in rural areas as well as in the city. Uh, as you mentioned there, the, the, the clock on the old city hall, I mean, it was simple recreational shooting for the fire of the British. They would simply point their weapons and start shooting. So the, the sound of gunfire uh, wasn't just something that was that happened during a nighttime during ambushes. It was part of the everyday uh, all or surround sound, as it were. And do you have any sense of the physical change to the city and how incremental it was, whereby you've barbed wire yes, and absolutely. sniper posts? And, 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 and you have checkpoints being set up uh, at random. Uh, bridges are being monitored uh, so that the, the British are making sure that anybody who's coming in, for example, from the south side of the city or, or from, from the north side, bridges were, were especially uh, important. There are, well, uh, to the extent to which vehicles were allowed, the British had already put severe restrictions on who could own or use a vehicle. They, they'd impounded any number of vehicles earlier in the year. So any vehicle that passed the British was stopping uh, and checking them. Uh, and that wasn't didn't have to be just motorised vehicles, even just handcarts. The British were, were inspecting them. Uh, the British were carrying out daily raids, uh, hundreds of raids over the course of, of, of these weeks on houses, uh, particularly in, again, of known sympathisers. But at times just simply speculative to, to try and hope that they might find some intelligence or members of the Republicans operating in, as were, hitherto unknown safe house. So the city looks almost like a war zone. City Hall, which is, you know, regarded as a hotbed of, which it is, a hotbed yes. of republicanism <laughs> yes. uh, and independence, uh, is is virtually barricaded up for fear of for the amount of times that that uh, black and tans and auxiliaries yep. are, are attempted and, and to set alight. There, there, there had been attempts to, as mm. you just mentioned, there had been attempts to set alight before the successful one in the burning of Cork. In fact, there was there was a permanent. Mm. A representative from the fire break is stationed in Sullivan's City Hall. Key, where the tax, the old tax office is, is roughly where the the fire yep, station yep. was at that I mean, time. Because, because it was expected almost on a daily basis uh, that there, there were going to be these attacks. As you say, it's the outstanding Republican stronghold from a political point of view. The council, and it's the administrative centre of the city. Yes, it's incredible, and, and, and like the council continues to meet during this time, continues yeah. to conduct its affairs because, of course, the British. And they're, stop taking, it. <laughs> and they're taking their instruction from the doll. Yes, absolutely. They pledged their allegiance the illegal... to the doll back, back in January at the mm. time of the same meeting. And are the doll meeting surreptitiously and under... Very, very rarely. Uh, I think there's about three meetings, I think, in the whole of 1920. Because, remember, a, a large number of them are over in America, including De Valera. Uh, many of them, a, a, large, a large number of every month or so, are being arrested or, or interned. Uh, and those that are still on the run, uh, it was incredibly dangerous to gather them all in the one place in case you did have an intelligence leak and the British would able to be able to take out the whole leadership cadre in one fell swoop. And one of them is Michael Collins. Is, course, he, is yes. he a member of Dáil Éireann? Yes, Elected? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, presumably in Cork, no? Or do we know? Yes, it, it was. Oh, what was it? It wasn't. Was it? I think it was Wet. I'd have to check the mm. the constituency. Yes, but he's he's a representative. Okay. He, sp he spends practically all of his time in Dublin. Yes. Uh, at this time, but uh, he is a representative. People describe Collins as having run the War of Independence, and then there's others who say, well, no one ran the War of Independence. It had a lot of independent areas and factions, but he certainly ran the intelligence. I mean, it's certain, well, even there, I mean, he he ran the Dublin 
end of the intelligence operation. And of course, that's where, again, you have special branch for RAC are stationed, the special branch for the Dublin Metropolitan Police, uh, British military intelligence are stationed there. So that, that's you get a lot of high quality material from there. But there was a separate intelligence operation uh, here in Cork, Florio Donoghue. So, uh, so then, so then you're agreeing with me in 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 this this sense that Michael Collins like ran everything. Well, he he ran a a very important operation, particularly when we look at the impact of Bloody Sunday yeah. and what it said and 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 meant. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, no one could do everything that yes. as uh, Michael no. Collins was supposed to have done. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it just I mean, it was a very fair point. Is that it suited both the Republicans and the British to, as it were create this Superman image. The British, because it helped to ex- explain the, their apparent failings because they're up against this one superhuman uh, individual. And the Republicans, of course, it helps to inspire them that they have this fantastic figure uh, mm. at, the, at their head. And there's one thing that's amazing about it, which this isn't the right time to put it in, but I'll flag it and we'll return to it, is, is you know, in De Valera picking Collins for the treaty negotiations, it just never occurred to me that all of a sudden the guy they were looking for and the guy that's responsible in their eyes for all of these things is now sitting across the table. So Collins prepared a response for the events of Bloody Sunday and the why. And I don't know, did he ever deliver it to anyone? And it's a very powerful response. I don't know. Well, I mean... uh, I think that's probably something Well, I mean, the the events of Bloody Sunday, of course, are started by Collins... Uh, so he gets his squad. They're, yes, they're, they're yeah. up and running. Well, and, and, and I suppose remember that there's, there's these different terms. You have the squad, which are in effect uh, the Praetorian Guard. These are the, the individuals who are carrying out uh, the orders. Uh, you also have an active service unit of the Dublin Brigade, which technically is, is, a, is a separate unit. This is attached to the Dublin Brigade. But of course, because Collins is located in Dublin, uh, they, all these individuals know each other. Uh, and then you have members of the Dublin, the regular Dublin Brigade of the IRA. So those who are involved on Bloody Sunday, it's these three separate uh, and units. Were, were some people drafted uh, from around yes. the country to help? Ma- well, there were, there were many people in Dublin. Uh, for example, I mean, many of those who found life a bit too hot uh, mm. in, in, in their own localities, where, of course, they were known, could be identified on site, uh, had moved to Dublin where it was easier for them uh, to remain hidden. So the squad who that Collins and they said they, they, they weren't formed around Bloody Sunday. They existed they anyway. They existed, yes. Um, they draw up a plan to try to take down the 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 G division or the no the, these are the, the British the, intelligence. Yes, I mean the, these would be military intelligence officers. Uh, G division was the branch of the Dublin Metro, pardon me, the Dublin Metropolitan Police, which was the the unarmed police force in Dublin, but their political section. Uh, was the one which was, was the greatest threat to the Republicans because because the headquarters of Sinn Féin... And, and is that Ned Brawley who worked in Dublin Castle and allowed Collins access to the files exactly, for five yeah, hours yeah, yeah, and he read yeah, all the reports? Yeah. And, and there are a number of other finger, figures. Uh, that's, who the, that's who the G Division are. He, well, the, the, he's, he's, he's one of the, the members of G Division and Collins is able to get access to... And remember, these files, the files of the access weren't just solely those of G Division. It's some of the, as it were, the regular files as well. But, I mean, uh, and this had happened some months before, yes. and this was one of the reasons why he, he assembles the squad in the first place. Yes. Because he realises... they they have details on everyone. They, yes, they, yes. We, we need that. Yes. And, we need to it, know as much about them as they know about us. That it, was inc- it, Including it? Collins himself. Mm-hmm. I mean, Collins himself had uh, a file. Uh, he, he'd gone to ground during 19... 19- 18 and there's very few additions after that. 
uh, even physically identifying him, although there were photographs. I mean, it, it, uh, but there are all those stories. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. Whether they're apocryphal well, or I mean, not, the, the, of him cycling the, up on a bike. Who are you looking for? Well, I mean, that Collins. was true. I mean, it, it's talk about hiding in plain sight. Yes. I mean, he was impeccably dressed. He was the absolute antithesis of, of what an IRA gunman was, was believed to look like. Uh, the phrase was he, he looked like a stockbroker. Uh, he, he would deliberately go out of his way to engage with policemen and with soldiers uh, as a way of, of trying to, to gain their confidence. Mm. And, and there were a number of escapades where, as much by good luck or bravado as, as good judgment, he, he was able to escape with the skin of his teeth. There was one incident where uh, there was a reception for a visiting American delegation in 1919, uh, a few months before, the, the military raided the, the mansion house in Dublin looking for Collins especially, but anyone else they could find. Collins managed to hide in the rafters, almost sort of spread-eagled for, for several hours. Uh, and then when the, the military left, he comes downstairs, and they still had pickets, as it were, on, on all the entrances. He comes down, gets dressed up <laughs> I, I, impeccably and, and appears. And this, this Scarlet Pimpernel reputation... <laughs> Uh, that uh, well, he, he acquired. This yeah, was this was one of the beginnings of it. He obviously had a bit of bravado. It's, it's, it's again not something for now. But I remember when I learned about the amphibious invasion of Cork by the Free State forces to drive out the IRA who yep. had held it. This is during civil war times. Who yep. held it for six months, drove them into their stronghold of West Cork. And what I didn't realise it was just after that that Collins took his tour of West Cork. Yes, where he got within days. Why would you do that? Like that's well, I kind of like my question is. Had he a streak of hubris about him? Uh, that's, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, it had worked for him <laughs> up to that point. Uh, so uh, on the basis that... It's a bit foolhardy. Well, you could argue if you ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I mean, if the method seemed to have succeeded... Then I probably shouldn't have introduced don't. that much later, <laughs> later point here. Yeah. So, OK, so he's uh, so he knows he needs his intelligence to be as on, uh, on point as the yes, British. Yes. And he decides he needs to... Like, do we know when planning for Bloody Sunday began? Or well, what? It, it, it had certainly been undertaken over a number of weeks. I mean, the British had up their intelligence game earlier in the year. They had reorganised the intelligence section of both the Dublin Metropolitan Police. And remember that the G Division had been, about half of them had been wiped out. It wasn't a particularly big unit. There was only maybe, I think, eight or nine detectives involved. So I think two or three of them had been shot. Another one had been injured. Uh, and the remainder had, in effect, taken the cue that perhaps it was in their interest not to be too industrious uh, in carrying out their duties. Mm. So the the RAC had had its... Uh, intelligence built it up but it was the, the military that really upped the game but partly because they didn't necessarily trust uh, the local police forces because they believed that some of the Collins <laughs> and they were correct to do so Collins was actually getting some information through the police So is part of this that Collins realises that um, due to their success in taking out some of the G Division members that the military are now bringing their own intelligence yes. guys in and yes. the game is going up and, 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 and I'm going to hit yes, first yeah. and, and these individuals have no ties to the country, or if they do, if they have any harsh ties, I mean, they're clearly loyalists and unionists. They're, arm they're trained yeah. army officers, they're, they're trained leaders, they're trained experienced killers uh, because they've been yeah. uh, involved in the war. Uh, there were men who would not hesitate to shoot first uh, if, if, if needs be. Um, and therefore, if you were go and, and you had to take them all out at once. I mean, if you, if you took one out on one day, that would alert everybody to the fact that 
they were vulnerable and they would all it's simply retreat into, into Dublin Castle. It's such an audacious plan. It is. I mean, um, it, it was. I mean, and yet civilians killed in it. Some of the, yes. like the, Again, the movie Michael Collins probably gives us a, a sense of a real... like a, Almost a, a, a godfather type... Uh, and yet, you know, uh, the, some of the crews that were sent out didn't yes. know what they were going to do, yes. were yes. nervous, um, yeah. they were their hands were shaking so much, they were yes. firing indiscriminately, yes. they got the wrong people. Yes. Um, a number of the houses, the people weren't there. Yes. Uh, you know, so it, it's far less... No, it, it wasn't. It's far less... It's glorious for yeah. want of a better it, it, it word. It wasn't as clinical as, as, as it's made clean out. cut as, as Collins would have wished. Mm. Certainly, I mean, there was there was no benefit in, in killing anybody who wasn't on the list and, and clearly uh, there were. There was a, a Fitzgerald killed instead of a Fitzpatrick. Yes. Uh, but I suppose one would point out that intelligence in any war is never 100%. I mean, un- unless you absolutely have sort of listening devices uh, turned on 24 hours a day uh, seven days a week in the headquarters of your opponents. You're only ever going to be operating off scraps of information. And your and Colin's genius was to try and was to bring all of these small pieces of, in some cases, low grade intelligence, and build a much bigger picture out of them. Uh, so yes, I mean it. It certainly wasn't as clean cut, but what it it was uh, was a, a clear indication to the British that. Oh, Colin, yeah, the, Collins the impact, knew what they were up to. Oh, the impact must have been Absolutely. huge. But it's just, I suppose, you know, when we look at it for, again as one of the founda- founding myths of yep. of the nation, it was muddier and murkier and grubbier and grimier. And, and uh, you know, the closer you look at it, the more you're like, what? And, and the men that, that did it suffered, uh, course, yes. you know. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, some of them, I mean, psychologically, in any yes. war, uh, yes. I suppose, especially yes. for it those who It might not have were, been that one incident. It might have been the accumulation. Exactly. And, and anybody who was their first time seeing somebody shot or, or even hearing a weapon. I mean, when weapons are discharged in, inside in a house, it is deafening. In it, front it of really people is. shot in front of their wife and their kids. Yes, one, one, yeah. one of the men shot said not in front of, you know, and asked yeah. to be... T- yeah. it, 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 horrific. Yes, Hor- absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, and, and, and previously, you know, the IRA would have killed people probably on operations. Would there have been, like, assassinations of walking up to people in the street there, there and shooting were, from yes, the behind there, and there the like? Been, so uh, this wasn't... A completely new chapter. It, it, well, part of the problem was to, to actually go to where somebody was living yes. was more dangerous yes. simply because they would have their weapons there and, and the, there are situations where, on Bloody Sunday, where some of those involved were, were reaching for their weapons. You had, in some cases, multiple members uh, of, of the military forces in the one house, which was, of course, very, very dangerous. Uh, but from, also from some the of the men wouldn't have, uh, you know, would have had moral quandaries of about course, this yes. manner of, yes, of warfare. Yes, absolutely. I mean, to shoot somebody, uh, as it were, with a rifle at hundreds of yards distance mm. uh, is one thing. Or, or, or as would happen in the First World bayonet fighting where it's hand-to-hand, uh, but as it were, both sides are... Are equally engaged, but to 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 kill somebody uh, who is unarmed, even if they're a military figure, and you know that they would do, they would not hesitate to shoot you if the the roles were reversed. Mm, Still, is is psychologically, of course, it's yes. it's going to be very very difficult. So, um, is there thirty killed over the course of Bloody Sunday, or thirty two? Yeah, yeah. thirty. Well, thirty in Dublin. There were others who yes. were killed. Uh, in separate operations and, and other incidents uh, uh, around uh, the country. But the morning assassinations, it's something like 12. Is that a yeah, 14? I think, I think it's 14. Uh, I'd, I'd have to just check the, the figures um, there. It, and then, then, of course, you have the killings in 
Croke Park. Well, here we go. So the British, you know, they assemble in Dublin Castle. Probably all sorts are, are drawn in from wherever they... In fact, that is, they, they, they wives and children and families pour into Dublin Absolutely. Castle yeah. for residence. Yeah. To, to Precisely because they believe this is the, the, either there or in military barracks. Uh, they, they can be sure that they're safe. Mm. Um, because no one knows is this the beginning of further uh, bloodshed of over the course uh, of the day exactly yeah. over the course of the day or, or, or more generally and there's going to be a response yes absolutely uh, so I mean the uh, those who have been looking at the, the excellent coverage of, mm. of the events which took place uh, over the weekend uh, will know that there was a great deal of uncertainty and fear in the air uh, many people stayed off the streets um because they feared what the the reprisal would be, the fact that there would be a reprisal, I think nobody was within or nobody was in any doubt what form it would take, whether it would simply be burning, whether it would be a roundup of republican suspects. I don't think anybody was expecting a massacre of civilians uh, i mean that that really took i think many people by surprise, including those on the republican side uh, some of those of course who had been involved in the morning were at the match. Uh, the, the British came up with the idea that those that, who'd taken part would hide uh, in the crowd. They, they were there not to hide. I mean, it was probably the, wor- the, the worst place you could hide uh, because it, it, this, the match was, of course, uh, a re- in aid of Republican Dependence uh, Fund. So it was a fundraiser for Republicans. So it, it, it was certain it was going to be a focal point of attention. Uh, but the vast majority of those involved in the morning don't go to the match. Uh, but and the GAA hadn't been uh, particularly political up to that. Well, point. no, I mean there had been there had been a number of these fixtures uh, going back a number of years, going back to to 1917. Uh, and here in Cork, I mean, you had some people like Porico Keith, Nemo Rangers, after whom Porky Cueve uh, is named, uh, was arrested. You had uh, people like Michael Fitzgerald, the hunger striker who died, was from Formoy. He'd been a member of. From OGA Club, Joseph Murphy had been uh, a member no, of the bars. Individual members. Yes, yeah. Uh, and obviously the organisation is hosting the game, which is a fundraiser. And, and the GA in Cork uh, had, uh, the, the, uh, the army had occupied uh, the athletic grounds, which is where the, the, the games were held in those days, uh, on at least two or three uh, occasions to prevent the GA uh, holding matches. So the GA was certainly regarded by the British as being on the other side. Uh, but even then, it, it became it became as a huge shock uh, that civilians would simply be be singled out for in effect execution, uh, Ind- indiscriminate shooting into the yes. crowd over ninety seconds. Like in a yeah. way, it's almost uh, a miracle less. The- uh, more weren't but, killed. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, it's it's interesting. There had been so a lot were injured now. In fact. A lot were injured. Uh, and remember, some of those who died weren't shot. Some of those were, were crushed, crushed. Yeah. under foot. And a boy, a young two two lads outside the ground. One yeah. one in a tree. One sitting on a wall. Yeah. One shot in the face. Yeah. It's mad. Yeah. Mad. I mean, there had been a, a very famous or notorious incident uh, back in 1919, the Amritsar massacre, mm. where a protest meeting uh, had, had taken place in Amritsar. And the British Army simply went in there and the officer commanding had been educated at Middleton College uh, and the governor general of the area was a a Tipperary Catholic, uh, Michael Dwyer. And the general ordered his troops to open fire and at the bare minimum, the British accepted 350 were killed. Uh, The the Indians say that approximately 1,000 were killed uh, in a few minutes. 
simple, just absolute outright massacre. And the order was from was from General w- Dwyer, yeah, yeah, temporary. Ge- no, General uh, Governor General Dwyer was he, he was the civilian governor, uh, General Dyer, uh, <laughs> which is <laughs> just to confuse me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, no, uh, just, in, just interesting living. to know because well, uh, and, and the headline I can't I think it was the Freeman's Journal, maybe the Independent, the following morning after Croke Park was Ireland's Amritsar. Uh, the sense that this is what the British Army did when their imperial interests were threatened. It's crazy. Really, really crazy. Um, and you wonder how they excused it afterwards or attempted to. Well, the, the, they they came up with a classic excuse. We were fired upon first. And and, and, and they did defensive. also arrest two senior IRA figures, one of whom was part of Collins' squad and assassinated them that night. They, they had been arrested. They picked them up earlier. Oh. Uh, and another civilian who had nothing to do with it. Mm. Uh, wrong and place, wrong uh, in rather a fanciful excuse that they were shot while trying to uh, escape. Uh, it just so happened that the British... <laughs> tries to stage uh, stage the event with a photographer there and reproduce this image in some of the newspapers uh, as proof <laughs> that this individual had tried to escape. Well, so. there's some strange things that the British well, attempt I mean, to uh, do uh, to, uh, to uh, explain the, events the, the, as we we'll get to in the burning. Yeah, the, I mean, the old geographically so, moving yeah, buildings. Exactly. I mean, the old story about truth being the first casualty of war. Uh, do we think that, I mean, every, like, I mean, it must have been a field day for the media. I'd say everybody yes. everywhere was just like, what's yeah. going to be next? Well, that, that was it. I mean, um, that, that was the question. I mean, now, as it turns out, that's the worst day in terms of total casualties. Mm. Uh, and that's that's a Sunday, 20th of November. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so is it the 28th of November then? Because where it's, it's the first time we've mentioned him. Tom Barry, well, maybe not actually, but first time we'll talk about him in a wider way. Tom yep. Barry, yes, uh, in, in West Cork, is it yep. number number IRA number three? Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, the number three brigade. I mean Tom Barry himself was an interesting figure, a former member of the British Army who'd served in no, or is yeah. now Iraq, yeah. uh, Mesopotamia. Uh, he was the son of an RAC man, uh, born in, in Kerry, but had come back uh, from uh, Ross Carberry. Uh, in fact, if you go down to Oscarbury, there's a little memorial there to O'Donovan Rossa, who's a local, Michael Collins, as it were, who's a local, and, and Tom Barry. So certainly a, a, a decided focal point there. So Tom Barry had to, in effect, prove himself to the local eye. He, he offers his services, but th- there was a fear that he could be a plant. And was there some sense that it was his disgruntlement post-World War I uh, at how British soldiers were looked after? And well, it, was he slightly it, sidelined it, or it, It's impossible to be absolutely certain because of... That he, he, in terms of his rationalisation and explanation as to why he joins, is written afterwards, and of course that's affected by everything that had happened in between. So it's impossible to be absolutely certain. Uh, certainly, there seems to be a disgruntlement that the British uh, are saying, "Thank you for all your your service. Now go by." Uh, and and that the all the troops, whether they were from recruited in Ireland or in England, that there was a sense that the the government wasn't doing right by them. Mm. Uh, and not, of course, not, also not the I mean, only soldiers in the world to ever. No, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, that's making right, sh- by the way, but that's well, how yeah. they get treated. Often, well, it? it is, and and the sheer, the problem was that the sheer numbers uh, of troops involved. I mean, they're, they're huge conscript armies, and the government simply couldn't really look after them in the way that they'd promised. I suppose what I wanted to ask was, you know, does Bloody Sunday create Kilmichael, or was it happening no, anyway? No. I mean, that was going to happen anyway. Uh, uh, there was there was a force in McCroom who were harassing. Yes. They were harassing local villages, um, yep. Castletown, Kenny, and, yep. and... And had already sh- shot dead uh, at least one civilian. Uh, and, and were doing what, in effect, they were sent to Ireland to do, which was to make life hell 
for rebels. Uh, as far as the auxiliaries were concerned, I suppose, and this is true to a certain extent for the army, the RSC Black and Tons, also Special Constabulary and the like, that it was impossible to uh, distinguish between uh, an IRA member and a civilian because the IRA didn't wear uniforms. Um, and as a consequence, there was a tendency to, to regard every single civilian as a potential uh, IRA member, certainly every male. Um, and of course, there was also uh, um, the, the women were known to be carrying messages uh, and operating safe houses as well. So from that point of view, uh, it, it's no great surprise that wherever the auxiliaries were stationed, um, they tended to rough up the locality uh, to try and make, as it were, the, 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 the problems of supporting the IRA worse uh, than supporting the government. The, uh, now, it, it was a curious way to go around winning the hearts and minds uh, of a civilian population by burning down houses or carrying out raids, imprisoning or interning large numbers of people. But as far as the auxiliaries were concerned, it seemed to be working. Um, and what Barry wished to do was to, to send out a clear message uh, to both the local auxiliary companies, to the British Crown Forces generally, uh, and I suppose to also the Republican side, uh, is that it wasn't going to be tolerated uh, and that you could take them on. I mean, there was a sense, that a fear that the auxiliaries were untouchable precisely because they were mobile. I mean, this is the crucial thing about the, the auxiliaries. Unlike the Black and Tans or the uh, Royal Irish Constabulary, and even just unlike the army, which didn't have that much transport, uh, the auxiliary division is small, but it has pretty much complete transport. It has armoured cars, it has lorries, uh, and the like, so it can move wherever it believes it needs to go very, very quickly. Um, and and its, its job is to hunt and destroy the IRA. Uh, and Barry believed that there was a, a sense of fear within the IRA that these men were untouchable and, and they were the best that the British could provide. So Barry took it as a challenge uh, to demonstrate that you didn't have to fear them uh, and that if, if you went after them, they were in certain respects even more vulnerable than the ROC or the army, precisely because the ROC or army could were operating basically largely from barracks, whereas the auxiliaries tried to billet themselves in, in, in houses or, for example, in McCroom, in McCroom Castle, a non-fortified position. Uh, so from that point of view, it, it was almost a gun that had been thrown down by the Auxiliary Division. Uh, and, and do you think and this is the most significant uh, operation in the War of Independence? Well, in, in military terms... Because the British, at this point, had were denying that there was a war. Of course. And of this course. was the moment where they could no longer yes. deny it anymore. I've been down to the site yes. and I'd recommend anyone interested yeah, to, to visit Kilmichael. They've, they've laid it out incredibly well with, with uh, in, information stands at different points. Yeah. And it's just remarkable yeah. to think. So they'd noted the movements uh, stupidly by the auxiliaries. They were taking the same route back on yes. regular manoeuvres. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this was as well as part of, part of the conceit and arrogance of the auxiliaries. They, they, they genuinely believed that they were untouchable uh, and they didn't have to take the, the normal precautions that certainly the RIC, uh, the regular RIC, and even the military were, were taking at this point. Uh, so, But the British had persisted with this uh, interpretation that they, they spun to their own population and internationally that what was going on was, was armed criminality and that it was, a, it was a criminal conspiracy. There was no popular support, um, that these weren't soldiers, these were, in effect, a... Uh, uh, a nice version of the Mafia. And when the reports come through of, of what had happened at, at Kilmichael, where you have 
an entire unit of 18 or so officers, uh, all veterans, all experienced in from the First World War, all uh, willing to use and able to use their weapons, uh, had been, in effect, wiped out. Uh, it, it brings home to the British, and if one has a look at the specific cabinet discussion that takes place on the following morning, um, th there is a reference that this is more akin to regular warfare uh, th than anything that had happened before. They didn't think the IRA had that capability. No, they right? didn't. They, they, I mean, it was a huge has shot. Lloyd George already said that the, that they have murder by the throat? The, I think that comes that I'd have to just yeah, check yeah, exactly yeah. That, that particular phrase. You'd be but surprised was, if he managed to say that after an event like Well, like no, because the, 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 what the British then do is that they start upping particularly their intelligence gained in, in the rest of Ireland. Uh, and this is when you start having the really disturbed period in terms of execution of civilians uh, by the IRA, particularly in December, January, February, December 1920, January, February 1922, because the British do start to mm. achieve a number of successes over the IRA in terms of the Moorn Abbey ambush uh, and, and a number of others also. In the early parts of 1921. Yeah. For those, though, that don't know, um, so Tom Barry uh, assembles his uh, number three brigade in West Cork. Well, the flying column of the number three brigade, the, the number three brigade, uh, McCurtain and McSweeney had been in charge of the number one brigade, which was basically the city and mm -hmm. sort of East Cork, as it were. The number two brigade is more North Cork, and then the Cork number three brigade is West Cork. And are they all flying columns? Is that a no? No, it's it's sort of the, they they handpick the best men from all the various different companies, uh, and the flying column then is is in effect a full time out in the unit. out in the hills. You're out in the it, yep. you're staying yep. where you can stay yep. uh, and the like. Um, so they, they had been assembled for about a week beforehand. Uh, so Collins wanted, to, oh, sorry, uh, Barry wanted to put them through their paces and to make sure that when this ambush took place. Everyone uh, did what? They, they were told. Uh, but again, again it's, it's, it's important to remember that this would be the first time that any of the members had, had gone through that sustained military training over a number of days, practically all of them up to that point, that they might have uh, undertaken some drilling or, or some basic uh, military manoeuvres, but none of them had been on a, a week-long uh, training camp. But they'd have been involved in some operations. But I get you. They would. They would. But I get you. It's still a significant. But this thing. is this is a much bigger. Th that you're not taking on some a small patrol of the RAC, they, for they, example. They, they take up three positions. Yeah. Uh, two on on the right hand side of the road, looking north, and one on the left. Two tenders. Two do are they? Is that what they're called? Crossley, Crossley tenders. tenders yeah. uh, with maybe eighteen soldiers. I think nine nine in each. Uh, coming down the road. Uh, weirdly or bizarrely a number of IRA men arrive on the scene just before the Crossley so Barry has his three positions taken and yeah. while they're waiting on the tenders to come and they're there for the whole day yes. I think they're in position from 8am and it's yeah. something like 4 well, or 5 the, the, in the afternoon and, and they had marched to that position overnight in the pouring rain as well so this was these were tough men. Um, but so other IRA men arrive on the scene by chance just yes. before the tenders come, so they manage to scoot them up a, a kind of a side road, and, yeah. and it doesn't blow the game. Barry stands on a low wall at the end, in in IRA uniform, or you know, with the trench coat, like yes. with the, the the stylings of yeah. of, a, of an IRA man, uh, causes the first tend uh, Crossley tender to stop. The the other ones further back up the road, yeah. closer to one of the other positions, and. Um, you know, it... Well, you, you then just had a, a firefight breaks out. But he throws a, he throws a throws bomb a in the window, yeah, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's pretty close. The, I mean, the, the film The Wind That Shakes the Barley, even though technically that's Not, a fictional account, yes. uh, but in terms of the depiction of the engagement, that's close modeled enough. clearly on, on Kill Michael. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the first lorry is engaged and 
precisely the position where that was stopped, which was Barry ensured that it stopped. At that point, it was in effect in a crossfire, uh, and those who were in, engaged are killed pretty quickly. Uh, the second lorry was a little bit further back. It was one elementary precaution that the British had learned was to keep your lorries spread out so they wouldn't necessarily all be uh, targeted at once. So the, the IRA who'd taken out the first lorry, they'd start to manoeuvre around so they can start bringing their fire to bear on the second and lorry. The, and the third position is attacking that, yeah, that exactly, other already. tender at the time. And of course you then have the controversy. Uh, Over the fake surrenders. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, when I say controversy, I mean, I, I frankly am I'm, I'm not... Uh, inclined to view it as a controversy. I, I frankly don't doubt that there was uh, a, a false surrender. There's some suggestion that because Barry in his immediate response doesn't make reference to this, uh, that that somehow implies that he had devised this uh, subsequently. Uh, but we, depending on your point of view, I mean, if you believe that a false surrender took place, that the British call out, the IRA reveal themselves, the British shoot some of those involved, and then Barry says, that's it, okay, no more Shoot surrenders. until I say stop. Yeah. And, and, and according to this account, the British did try to surrender again, and, and no surrender was accepted. Or, or if, if you accept, uh, if you reject that, and you take what, the line that was taken by the British subsequently, which is that the surrender had taken place, and prisoners were, were executed. Uh, I say, from my point of view, I mean, I... And again, remember that when you're shouting out, we surrender... From one position, gunfire uh, going on isn't necessarily going to be heard by, by everybody on all sides. Uh, but the fact seems to be that two IRA men revealed their position after the surrender and they're shot by yes. the men who had surrendered and that's when Barry yes. says... Oh, yeah. what, um, one man escaped who was later captured that day and, and, and killed. Uh, did one man survive? He did, but he was very badly... Uh, I think brain damage for, for the rest of me. Yeah, to... As glorious an event as it is in the foundation of the state, and again, it's it's a horrific well, scene. It is. I mean, you're these talking... are real people yeah. with brothers and sisters and fathers uh, and mothers. And, and coming and... back to that point about the impact upon those who won the engagement, mm. I mean, Barry makes a point then of lining them up in the road. And of course, this is it's getting dark now. This is November. Uh, the the bodies are lying around. You have the Trucks are burning, and he drills the men up and down. Uh, some of them are crying uh, because of the shock of what had taken. And they've place. lost friends. Of course, of course. And it, it was, it, yes, it was. It was as a baptism of fire in terms of that, that type of full-on military engagement. It, I mean, it, it was horrendous. Uh, and and again, one shouldn't underestimate the extent to which, at a psychological level, uh, obviously at a physical level, those who were killed are dead, but. Those who survive uh, are, for how much they might have been celebrated subsequently and mm. fated in song as the boys mm. of Kilmichael. Mm. I mean, it, to kill a man, uh, even for trained soldiers, highly trained soldiers, uh, is not necessarily an easy business. For for untrained soldiers who haven't been given the, the months of training and conditioning that you could do in a regular army, uh, then of course it, it is going to be difficult. Uh, there were some injuries and, and men had to be spirited away to, to, to receive treatment and, yep. and bodies had to be stashed so that yes. they could be buried. And yes. th then, of course, the auxiliaries lo lose the plot in the general area. And, yep. you know, well, all of Kilmichael, I think, is raised to the ground yep. almost. Yep. Oh, it's a small, it's a small rural it's a small area, area but, but, but any of the buildings are, are burned. Yes, yes. And, and again, on the basis that what had happened 
elsewhere in the country when a much smaller incident had taken place, uh, then it was absolutely certain that there was going to be heavy reprisals. And of course, you also have reprisals not just in Kilmichael, but the troops in Cork. Uh, you, you have well, this bill this adds all into it, doesn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. I mean, the, there's the sense of the situation is just spiraling out of control in the same week as you have and you also have remember the the execution of one of the members of the british army who'd mutinied in india uh and and he's executed this week and also the body of father griffin uh the priest in Galway who'd been kidnapped uh, a few days before his body is uncovered and it's clear that he'd been executed uh by the auxiliaries so you you have a sense that in, in this one week it, everything seems to be happening uh, and certainly when and is it is it the Sunday after Bloody Sunday or, or, is it, or it's, I think it's the 28th of November yeah, well, it's, it's maybe 8 days yes, or so, yes, it, so, it, so. It, it, no I'm just trying to you know it's a Monday yeah. is it, yes, you know, exactly. it, for me that gives it some kind of a context yeah. in a way it's <laughs> yeah. a Monday yeah, yeah. you know but I suppose in a rural area sort of the in November mm. uh, I suppose there isn't there isn't a huge amount of mm. farm work going on mm. uh, and the like but I mean it, it certainly was just and a truly awful week. And, and every and, and single day that brings news... 12, of, 14 days later, or 11 to 12 days later, is 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 what we're sort of building to in, yeah. in this bit, is the that incredible incident uh, of the city being being burnt. Um, yeah. So the auxiliaries are, are bent on revenge. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question about this. I mean, the, the auxiliaries are out for blood. Uh, they didn't necessarily concern themselves whose blood, because as far as they were concerned... In Kilmichael, the reason that they put forward for burning all the houses in the locality is that it couldn't have happened if those in the locality had not been sympathetic. Uh, now, of course, that was pretty tough on those in the locality because... What were they uh, going to do against... Well, I mean... <laughs> it, it, were they going to tell the IRA no? Yeah. Well, well, it, it's very interesting, of course, that you mentioned there about the fact that you do have IRA men turning up unannounced, as it were, and uninvited, which was a, a, a signal that the word had gone out. Ah, uh, there was a knowledge that the, the, right, the that makes more happen, sense. Which, but that that's that's a dangerous thing. I mean, yes. sort of the, the yes, if it got been, out to them, exactly, exactly, that you could have had reinforcements. Uh, it could have been a trap. So that was something that, that Barry was was concerned about the the release of that information. I picked up a copy of the Burning of Cork, the book in St Peter's. Who have a wonderful. As soon as we're able to get back in, I'd recommend yes, people definitely. check out the Cork Twenty Twenty exhibition. It's superb. Uh, 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 St Peter's on North Main Street. Um, do you know who wrote the book The Burning of Cork? Michael Lennon. God, oh, thank you. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But in it, one of the things that I picked up was that um, obviously the obviously there had been uh, at previous attempts to burn City Hall yes. and, and all sorts of um, arson activity yep. during the hours of curfew by, by whoever, by the Black and Tans, by the Auxiliaries, by the RIC, by, by all of By them. the military. I mean, by the military. Yeah. Uh, but what I had read in it is that for a period of the year or at times, the, the military f fire fighting services had assisted yes. at, at different things that, yes. that didn't. So, look, to lead into the burning of Cork, it's it's Dylan's Cross uh, yes. and, and the Delaney's. Yep. Um, that's an audacious... Because seemingly Dylan's Cross, because of its proximity to Victoria Barracks, as yes, it was at the well, time, was, yeah. was a rel an area relatively untouched yep. by trouble. Uh, not on the night of the 11th, well, Saturday again, again, the 11th. It, it, it's, it's an audacious ambush. That it takes place, uh, I think, approximately 100 yards uh, from the gates of the barracks. I mean, those in the barracks would have heard uh, what was going on. They, they didn't rush to their assistance, primarily because they feared that if they did, 
this that you could get another ambush. Uh, so this is an IRA mean. attack. There's a there's a, a, a hard right turn that requires a, a vehicles to slow, Stop. and there's a yep. fake wall, yep. and behind it are six, seven, yep. eight city IRA yep. men, and 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 those in, who are. Uh, in in the, the vehicles are sitting ducks, as you say. You you can't maneuver. You can't reverse. You can't go forward. Are, are uh, they, you have to. Is slow it a down. bomb? Is it a? I I I'd have to check. I I think it's an incendiary it was, device. Yeah, of an incendiary device uh, and presumably uh, some and, and weapons. Exactly. Yes. Um, uh, and again, it's you. It's fire and move. I mean, they they didn't hang around, uh, but you didn't have to hang around because the, the troops are packed in close together. Uh, and this is one of the differences between operating in an urban environment mm. and operating in in for, for, and it for sounds Michael. it sounds like one of the most significant encounters in the city. I mean that sort oh, of up stuff. to that point, up yeah. to that point, yes. I mean again, precisely because it's so close to the barracks, uh, it is like the one one. Uh, by by the way, just just to add in here, it just occurred to me because obviously McSweeney is buried on the first of November uh, after his death on hunger strike, but there were others who died of hunger strike. Is are, are, are they're presumably. Uh, that's still occurring and there's funerals No, the, the, well the hunger strike itself had been called off I, I, I think it's about the 11th or 12th Okay uh, in, Of November Of, of November uh, There had been a debate about there had taken place since McSweeney's funeral as to whether there was any point in continuing that the, the full value as it were, had that had been, had been extracted as a result of okay. those who, the three men who died up to that point. But of course it was, for, for those who were on the strike, they had they had insisted they were going to continue. They had refused uh, a request. It certainly wasn't an order coming from Bishop Corlan two, three days before. And it was Arthur Griffith, uh, who was then the acting president of the Dáil, who, who directed that they should come off the strike. Okay, so <laughs> the context anyway is just extraordinary. The whole, like, it's just hard to believe that this is all in a, in a matter of days, weeks yes, and, and, and months. And again, remember that there's a constant backdrop of lots of things happening. Again, small scale, but sniping, small scale operations. So the IRA ambush, Dylan's Cross, um, the auxiliaries aren't backed up immediately for fear of further ambush. One yep. dies, nine injured type yes, thing. Yep. Um, Which given that it was a pretty short engagement, uh, it was a very, very high casualty rate. Yeah. Um, the, the hounds seemingly were used by the military to hunt people down. Yes. Um, they 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 go to a known IRA sympathizer. Well, mem- find mem- a hat. members of the the first battalion of, of the first Cork Brigade, the, the Delaney brothers. Uh, it's their family home. Uh, two of those who were involved in the ambush had gone to uh, the house, uh, which wasn't a huge distance away. Uh, but as you say, the British. Uh, Apparently, uh, one of those involved had, had dropped a cap. The British were able to get their bloodhounds, track them to the house. Um, the the father of the house is, is knocked up in the middle of the night. Uh, he isn't touched, as it were, but the, those involved simply storm into the house. Not dissimilar, of course, to, to the manner in which Tomas McCurtain ended at his end. Uh, and two uh, brothers are then shot. Uh, and it uh, and and another uh, member of the household, the uncle, uh, their uncle was also shot. Uh, the Delaney brothers, of course, GA Club, uh, is is uh, named in their honour. So that is Saturday, eleventh of December. This is yeah. the beginning of the burning of Cork. Yeah. It's an operation that is believed to have been planned, irrespective of this ambush. That just probably adds well, uh, again, this is a point to lights re- the litmus. Yeah, people. I mean, really important point to remember is that there had been. A policy of reprisal. 
Uh, every single time there had been a serious incident for, for many weeks, if not months, there had been a response. Uh, certainly that the scale of the operation, that, and this is, again, some overtones of the Tomorrow's McCurtain uh, assassination. It was practically impossible to conceive that you could, in hot blood, get all, for example, the equipment that you would need um, to carry out this operation at, at short notice. So I don't think there's any doubt that it was pre-planned, uh, which is, of course, one of the things that had perhaps led the IRA, the city brigade, the city uh, battalion of the IRA, to, to hold their hand temporarily. Uh, but without any question, uh, the auxiliaries... Uh, are the ones who carry it out, and the ones who have, who have a distinct plan. I mean, they they make a point of targeting certain buildings. Uh, it, it's very interesting. I mean, this is, gives an indication of just perhaps saying how so the caliber of some of those involved. Um, they make a point of trying to build from a commercial a burn from a commercial point of view some of the most valuable premises. Um, on the one hand, putting a large number of people unemployed, but of course you're then going to alienate the very business class uh, that historically had been probably considered to be the backbone of, of sympathy for for the union uh, the very people who, you, who in theory whose sympathies you were in probably should have been courting the ones who you're alienating the way you're speaking there is making me think though i mean it feels like relatively wild abandon that causes this like it, it, there's no, it, is there a, a black and tan guy sitting in an office planning this well colonel and, latimer was the the, the controller he's He's ultimately demoted. Uh, uh, just to say, Dylan's Cross, so the people are forcibly forced into their houses earlier than curfew yeah. uh, and, and ra- burning commences. Yeah. I mean, the, the curfew begins at 10, but from about 9 o'clock onwards, which, of course, of course, I mean, remember at that point, it's, dark, it's pitch black. It's dark. pitch black. Uh, and there are reports that the soldiers were just shooting randomly without any sort of warning being given. They're also raiding stores and whiskey and they're yes, all getting yes. tanked up a bit. But have they started pouring into town at this point? They, they, they just come down the hill and they start... Uh, the, the other auxiliaries that are inside in the barracks and some uh, regular soldiers. Although there, it's interesting that some of the, the stories that some regular soldiers are sympathetic to, to the auxiliaries. Uh, but there generally is... There seems to be an, at least an attempt made by some... Uh, regular army officers to prevent what's happening. And there's one officer who, who gives his men uh, an armoured car under his control orders to shoot the auxiliaries if they start if they continue to to behave in in this riotous way. Uh, although interestingly, he said, "I didn't give my orders to my own enlisted men to shoot privates and corporals simply because you could have had a gun battle between the auxiliaries and the British Army." Uh, and and who knows how that could have uh, have turned out? Jesus, chaos. Uh, yeah, and, and so the the there's reports breaking out of fires occurring all over the place. I mean, this clearly can't be an accident. Uh, I mean, if if there had been one building that a, a fire had caught, then it might be explained accidentally. But uh, a number of fires were breaking out at dislocated points all over the city centre, uh, including, of course, City Hall. Uh, despite the fact that the, at least some of the British uh, sought to to move City Hall and a map uh, in around Patrick Street uh, to suggest that somehow uh, it had caught fire accidentally or as a result of fire spreading from elsewhere, but th- there's extensive amounts of petrol being used. Uh, there again, given the fact that this is all happening in curfew, there is no suggestion that any civilian. Uh, could possibly be involved, and and, and, and it's it, right the way through the night. It is. Like City Hall is seemingly one of the later places yep, yep. targeted, and Carnegie Free mm. Library with it as yep, well, yep. and presumably the uh, fire 
they'd stationed some of the fire service by City Hall because of how frequently it was being yeah. targeted, but presumably they had long gone yeah. to some other area well, of the I mean, city they, to try You to couldn't fight all the fires. Winthrop all Street, Mailer Street, it's, yep. it's that I mean, south it's side a, of yeah, Patrick yeah, Street. And, 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 and it's a block, basically. I mean, it's more than a block. because Roach's stores goes. Yeah, Roach's store goes and uh, caches. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's sheer... Absolute destruction. Some of the, the pictures that you And remember, see. the workers are living above these buildings. And, 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 and the owners of some of the premises, and it, it isn't just the bigger stores, even though they, they seem to be peculiarly targeted. But if you had a small little, like a seamstress shop or something like that, then you would live above the shop. Uh, so you have hundreds of people lose their homes, uh, as well as thousands of people losing their jobs. Uh, Jewellers are massively targeted uh, yeah, I for mean, looting. The, 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 the looting was systematic. I mean, uh, sort of, uh, and there seems to be, again, preordained because the shops where you would have high value and low weight, uh, such as jewellers, uh, are the ones that are particularly targeted, along with pubs. Uh, and certainly there, there were very few pubs that survived with their stock intact uh, after uh, the end of the night. Fire service members have their hoses uh, bayoneted or yes. punctured. Uh, yes. Some of them are fired upon and yes. injured. And again, you mentioned there that there is no turnout of the military fire appliances, uh, which had been the case in some of the fires around the year, which again give an indication that within the barracks, within the, the, the former military uh, unit stationed there, there was a division of opinion. Some of them were determined to try and follow their orders and keep some sort of order and prevent the auxiliaries simply wrecking havoc, while other members of, of the military were sympathetic uh, to what had gone on. Again, and again, remember that there is a memory of, of a bloody Sunday and, and the, the bitterness that's being felt and, and of Kill Michael and the bitterness that, that's felt is, is very, very... And it's K oh. Company, I think, is yes, worth yeah. mentioning, isn't it? Because they, you know, they're 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 all, they're disbanded within six months. They're they're all shipped down to Dunmanway after it, or a load of them. Well, uh, they had they had killed. Remember, uh, Cannon Magna, uh, and uh, another uh, civilian who was was with them uh, before then. So they they were arguably the most notorious unit within the whole auxiliary division, and the auxiliary division as a whole was was uh, was, was noted for its indiscipline. So they, they even were more so than them. the black and tans. Yes, much more than so wow. the black and tans. Precisely because again, because the auxiliaries were arguably sort of the black and tans were a mixture of sort of deconstructed de de uh, soldiers yeah. and 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 people looking for a gig, yeah, basically yeah, give yeah. us a job. Where, where, but the auxiliaries were ex ex so they should yeah, have had so yeah, very highly paid a, a pound a day. Uh, all the equipment that they could wish for in terms of of modern weaponry, in terms of. Uh, motorized vehicles and the like, uh, and and they were they were the absolute cutting edge. Uh, so again, the, the combination between the Kilmichael ambush where they had been a unit had been wiped out, and what had happened in Dunmanway, and then the burning of Cork, uh, brings public attention onto the auxiliary division in a way that uh, the British government simply didn't like. It's also, of course, remembering that the British carried out their own military inquiry. General Strickland, who was the the, the general officer commanding the forces in Munster, stationed in Victoria Barracks, he carries out an inquiry. And again, if we, these these minutes are freely available, when the British cabinet consider his report, he, he said, "There's no question about it. These are these are the auxiliaries. It's it's an open and shut case." General Tudor, who was the head of the auxiliary, uh, well, it, uh, auxiliary units, he was he was technically in charge of all the police. Uh, he he's outraged that, in effect, the the army is shaming its own. He commissioned. It's, it's not publicly released, though. No, is it's it? not. And this, the, he 
Tudor commissions his own report, which of course exculpates those involved. But yet, in in the uh, in the cabinet discussion, there is there is a clear statement that if this is released, it will have a devastating impact upon our position. So we just don't release it. And who is Strickland? The guy in Cork who's 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 responsible? Who's the who's the head? Well, well, Strick, Strickland wouldn't be, have been in charge of the auxiliaries precisely because they were nominally attached to the police, the, the RAC. RAC. So General Tudor was the the overall uh, commissar, as it were, of, of all the police forces, and that includes the Ulster Special Constabulary, includes the regular RAC, Black and Tanza, and auxiliaries. The, the, the commander of the auxiliary division was a fellow called General Crozer, again a, a senior military figure. He did try to impose some discipline um, on, on the auxiliary division, precisely because he realised that its activities were being absolutely counterproductive. You were driving people into the arms uh, of of the IRA, and you were driving, you were punishing many unionists uh, in in terms of their indiscriminate actions. When he does try to dismiss a number of members of the uh, auxiliary division who were particularly uh, ill-disciplined, General Tudor then reinstates them, uh, and and General Crozier then simply resigns. And to say that it, if this is what the British government wants the auxiliary division to be, to be absolutely uh, above and beyond the law, then he said that he wouldn't have any part of it. Um, so, so K Company were the worst, but they were by no means exceptional. Uh, in a general sense, because it's well, well, within they the auxiliary were, division, or, or on the night in court. Well, no, within the auxiliary division, they were probably the, the most notorious unit. Uh, but they were, as it were, it's part of a spectrum, uh, and they're at one end of the spectrum. But most of but the other units the were, were close enough. On yeah, the, on the, on the, the 11th, night, yes, absolutely. The 11th absolutely. into the 12th, absolutely. Um, but, but nobody is. I mean, there's the small inquiries. Uh, I think there's a couple of. Well, they were held in camera, weren't they? Yes, exactly. Apparently, there was a, a lawyer applied to, be, and they were all oh, no good. lawyers. Yes, no lawyers. Um, there was all sorts. And of it's things. held in Victoria Barracks itself, of course, from from which the those but, who but, participated but, 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 in the, the attack yet, had emanated. But yet, even taking all those things into account, still the end report, in effect, softly, yeah. but still points yeah. the finger. But there, there is no real disciplinary action. I mean, there's, and, and there's no compensation until a much sort of much, much later date. But in the, fact, I think seemingly the city is is charged for the city. Is, and that had, that had been <laughs> this had been one of the ways in which the British had sought to to try and punish the civilian population for what they saw as their complicity in the crimes. That this was true not just in Cork on that night, but more generally, that where uh, property had been destroyed. Uh, a levy was uh, placed on all the, the ratepayers, uh, and and this was going to be imposed as a charge on all the ratepayers in the county. Uh, so from that point of view, yes, I mean, and uh, again, there was an idea of collective punishment uh, that you would hurt any sympathisers, uh, civilian sympathisers with the IRA. But again, all that simply served to do was to drive more people into the ranks of the IRA on the basis that if they're going to penalise us anyway. Uh, whether we support the IRA or not. We might as well support mm. the IRA and get them out. What a shocking, horrifying and just incredible incident to happen in the in the lifetime of the city yeah. uh, on, yeah. on and over that night. Um, yeah. We mentioned it that within day or seemingly very quickly, some of the media reports across the water in the UK uh, 
oh, there was a map drawn up that placed That's Cork right. City Hall <laughs> into the centre of the city, well, and it was what, suggested what it, saw, what it sought to do was to that they had burnt was, themselves, yes. and it had caught the rest of the place on yes. fire. And, and they seemed to suggest that there was a, a building called City Hall, which wasn't part of the municipal buildings. The map shows the municipal buildings. Oh, but right, yeah, somehow yeah, yeah, yeah. City Hall had uh, yeah. lifted itself up and transposed itself uh, two hundred uh, yards or three hundred yards. It's kind of it, it probably just shows the chaos and the craziness of the time that. They sort of got away with that. That was just well, another. Did, they, I mean, they, they did uh, just another incident. Much the same way, I suppose. Again, coming back to to Morse McCurtain, uh, on the basis that things are happening in the dark, uh, uh, when hard to tell it, and what it, really it, happened, exactly. and, and, and their faces are covered. Oh, of course, they'd say that propaganda. Yeah, exactly. and Don't believe a word of it, and exactly. no, no, no. Exactly. Uh, meantime, in the background of this, because I, I, I kind of want to wrap up nineteen twenty. Yeah. What a year! There, there's a priest somewhere who is beginning tentative uh, yes. connection. So there's there's a, for want of a better term, actually I think the term was used at the time, um, peace process. Yes, peace uh, is being sent out. Which doesn't work at that time. Yeah. And and seemingly uh, the last six months of the war in independence, either the same amount of people die again as had already yeah, died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, you know, it's just... Well, uh, that, that, the, the second half, the, the, the months of 1921, uh, you, you have a number of... of really awful events. The IRA start losing serious numbers of men that they couldn't afford to lose. I mean, from the British point of view, they always had fresh recruits that they could they could bring into Ireland. So if they lost 18... Well, they had 30,000 uh, military in, exactly. in the country. So, so, Custom so, House in Dublin being one of them. Exactly, exactly. So it, it was a far more serious matter for the IRA to lose 10 men uh, than it was for, and for the there, British. And there, there's one I hadn't heard of before uh, until relatively recently, the, a farmhouse, I think it's somewhere in East Cork where there was a, a, a bunch... Is Clonmult? That's yeah, the one. Because yeah, yeah, right. I, I, I don't know where Clonmult is. Yeah, it's just beyond Middleton. Okay. Uh, and and that's that's the IRA's worst defeat. Mm. Uh, in fact, that's the name of one of the, the books on, on this thing. But, but the, and anyway, the, that's early, early 1921. Yeah, early 1921. <laughs> but I mean, the, 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 and, and the problem is that the IRA now believe that intelligence is being passed to the British because there's no way that the British would be able to, in effect, pick off their ambushes uh, so freely. And you then start to have to search for people who are passing on intelligence to the British. And this is where you, the, 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 the very serious number of uh, incidents of shooting of, of informers starts taking place. And just to give people context that it's 1935 before City Hall is rebuilt. Yep. Um, it's kind of 1924 be- before many of the cities, uh, many of the buildings around Patrick Street are, yep. are rebuilt. Uh, it's a slow process. There is some compensation the claims that people put in, they get about half of that yeah. towards it. Uh, William Roach is one man who was woken up in the morning to be told that he gets a tram in deathly silence all around the place, mm-hmm. stopped by what he perceives to be slightly inebriated soldiers on en route. Where are you off to? I'm William Roach and I'm, I've heard my story. And anyway, off and, and, and he's, he's sent on in. And amazingly, you know, it just shows the tenacity of, of people generally. Uh, by the way, one of his claims, and we see it in, in there's some footage from the early, early um, 1900s, of Cork City Centre and a big Union Jack flying yes. over over probably over Roach's stores yeah, yeah, and yeah. he puts in a claim for that <laughs> and he's treated more leniently because it's, 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 there's a there's, there's a, 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 a sense yeah. that if he's flying a Union Jack he might have Union sympathies there is one there is one important aftermath of the uh, of the of the burning which I think should be mentioned which is the excommunication order which is <gasps> yes. issued by Bishop Corden in the, in the immediate solo, aftermath a solo run a solo run I mean that there hadn't been for example anything similar issued by uh, Archbishop Walsh of Dublin uh, in the aftermath of, of Bloody Sunday. Uh, 
it's partly it's it's there are a number of reasons. Bishop calling himself so it's an excommunicate. He says anybody involved in these incidents from here on anybody who's involved in, in in ambushing or arson. Now technically it applies to both the British and Irish side. And of course remember that there were Catholics serving in, in the British forces uh, as well. But clearly it's it's interpreted by the IRA as as being directed towards them. Uh, they were outraged because. As far as they were concerned, there hadn't been a word of condemnation specifically against the British for what they had done. Uh, so it was seen to be, and of course it was peculiarly directed towards them. I, I would put in a, perhaps a, a little word of mitigation. Uh, and it comes back to the fact that what happened in the burning of Cork and what had happened before and what had happened subsequently was policy on the part of the British. It was a policy on the part of the British to carry out reprisals. Uh, it is only officially sanctioned in January, I think January 1921, where the British announced we're going to have this policy. But it had been the policy for many, many months. Tralee had been burned, Balbriggan had been burned, Rockery was going to be burned. There had been any number of, of, of instances where the British had simply carried out reprisals with absolute impunity. So as far as Corlin was concerned, it wasn't that the British were out of control, it's that the British were in control. And they were doing this as as coal-headed policy, uh, as well. If it had been done in hot blood, it would you perhaps would not necessarily expect it to happen on every occasion. But the fact that it is happening on every occasion shows that the British are doing this deliberately, and they are going to target civilians. Uh, so Corland took the perspective that as as a bishop, he had to take the bigger picture, as it were, uh, and and that if civilians were going to be caught up in the aftermath of. of engagements as of course had happened in the aftermath of Dylan's cross ambush uh, that he had to to take a stand but it was something for which he wasn't forgiven by the IRA the IRA uh, simply bypassed him uh, and went to Father Dominic of the Capuchin Fathers uh, who wrote a, a letter basically saying he doesn't know what he's talking about this is wrong theologically you, you, you are doing this as soldiers this is your job uh, and a soldier has no more need to confess uh, for acting as a soldier wow. than, than anybody else was in, in confession, uh, which was a very, very brave thing to do for a, a junior cleric uh, to simply tell Catholics, conscientious, diligent Catholics, ignore the bishop in this occasion, it was something which struck at, as it were, the very heart of the, the nature of Catholic, the, the Catholic hierarchy. Mm. Uh, but So it starts to reveal some of the, the problems within uh, the church there as well. The, the, the fact that the church itself is now increasingly coming under attack. There is there is a priest that is killed attached to the cathedral in the early months of 1921. Uh, of course, it tends to, to lend a, a sense of urgency to the, the church's own deliberations. But certainly Bishop Corlin is, is well in advance of any other bishop, including many bishops who were much less sympathetic to advanced nationalism than him. And this is one of the ironies that Corlin was considered to be one of the most advanced nationalists within the hierarchy, uh, albeit not a member of Sinn Féin and not necessarily an, uh, an advocate of physical force republicanism. Uh, but it's simply because everything is happening on his watch. It's his diocese where these things are happening. And he believes it's necessary to take a stand, as it were, to defend the civilian population uh, against what he knows will be the inevitable and coal-headed official government-sanctioned onslaughts that will have, that will certainly occur in the aftermath of any of these these operations. And we thought we've had a bad year. No. In, 20, <laughs> in 2020. Yes, yes, uh, we're yes. all sort of eager for the new year in the hope that this next year will be better yes. as they were yes. 100 years ago. Yes. If, if and have, is that next year better? Uh, 
not right. initially. I mean, the, again, the first six months you mentioned there earlier on, that the first six months of 19... 19- 21 are, are just awful uh, in terms but of... But I guess ultimately we get peace and a treaty. Yeah, the, in 19... the, the, the truce is agreed in the summer of 1921, but you also have, for example... But um, then the Civil War kicks off immediately. Yeah. Well, again, also remember, not so much from a court point of view, but in December of 1920, you had the passage of the Government of Ireland Act, which oh, introduces yes. the border. Uh, oh. that, that border starts... S- sorry, what, what I wanted to get... When did martial law get... Was that after Bloody martial Sunday? Martial law is in November 19... Uh, maybe December, it's either November... I'd have but to it's after Bloody it's, Sunday? It's No, in, in Cork, it's, it's imposed in Cork, first of all. It's in the aftermath of Kilmichael. Ah. Uh, now, whether it's a day or... So now, now the law is out of the hands of the politicians. Yes, and it's in the hands of the, the general. So or, the... Well, you you could still be tried by an ordinary court if you're, which court. is possibly why the inquest now is is a sealed military one. Well, it, it, th- 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 this has already been decided. Uh, this this has been the practice for some months at this point, uh, really since the uh, passage of the Restoration of Order in Ireland Act, uh, some months before, which had been the act which allowed the British to start exit. Well, allowed the British to start executing mm. the prisoners, provided them in their own eyes with a legal basis mm. for the execution of people like Kevin Barry. Uh, but you then have the, the imposition of martial law. You have the passage of the Government of Ireland Act, creating the border, which of course remains remains most certainly. With and that us. was a unionist demand. It's interesting that that again that this will probably take at least another hour to go <laughs> to go through uh, this discussion. Uh, the initial recommendation from the committee that was appointed to devise recommendations for Irish self-government was that it should be a nine-county border. Uh, that there should be partition. Uh, but you should both have a nine-county border and what we would nowadays call powerful cross-border bodies, a, a council of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the British wanted, the, the Conservative Party wanted a united Ireland, but under British rule. Mm. Uh, they, 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 they didn't want Ireland to go to become a dominion, uh, which is ultimately what happens. Uh, but they were prepared to, at this point, concede home rule to the whole of Ireland. What they, what they didn't want is exactly what happens which is the island is partitioned and then the south goes its own way completely, cuts its ties with Westminster, uh, primarily because that meant the southern unionist constituency, of which there are a large number of, of southern unionists in Cork, uh, in places like Bandon and, and the city centre. Uh, and, of course, that population, coming back to the events of the first six months of 1921, that population is one of the population that, in their eyes, seems to be targeted uh, in the IRA's search for informants for the British in, in that first six months. And that is a controversial topic, It, mo- it, it? most certainly is. It most certainly is. But again, it's something As to that, whether it was a deliberate policy and even whether there was a religious aspect to uh, where, whereby uh, Protestants were being targeted. Uh, that, that's, as, as were for their religious faith as opposed to, to their actions. That, again, that's that's a huge debate mm, which mm, I've no doubt we'll, no, we'll yeah. probably be coming back to a, 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 at some point in time. Uh, so where how do we wrap up then 1920 in that sense? So some of what I'd read in that Burning of Cork book was that some of that K company were sent you know, they were sent out of the city. Yeah. Uh, you, you referenced um, the the cannon that was shot. That was in Dunmanway, yes. was it? Because yep. I, I I'd read that some of that K company were sent down to Dunmanway, and other things happened, and yeah, yeah. and then they slowly, you know, by April I think of the next year they were gone. Well, as, and, as and, a, and many of them, many of them simply resign. And again, not just in K company, but generally many auxiliaries uh, realize in the aftermath of Kilmichael that they're not going to have it their own way, and they are the, the IRA are going after them. Uh, so from that point, some of them resign. So a small number are dismissed, although, as we've already mentioned earlier on, uh, 
some of them are reinstated after being dismissed. Uh, and some of them are posted to, to parts of the country where which aren't as, as literally as, as hot uh, as it is in Cork. Uh, but, I mean, but the, the, when one has a look at some of the newspaper editorials uh, on, on New Year's Eve and on New Year's Day in, in 1920-21, there certainly is the sense that, thank God, that has gone. But at that point, precisely as you mentioned, that the, the initial peace feelers had been repudiated by the British, largely because they felt that the IRA was weakening uh, and that the British needed to keep up this policy of coercion in order to, to absolutely crush things. But th there is this uncertainty as to what the next year will bring. As you say, what it does bring ultimately is is peace of a sort, at least temporarily uh, in from the, the, the truce in the summer of 1921. But of course, war breaks out again in the South in the summer of 1922. And of course, remember, in the first six months of 1922, you also had absolute carnage in the North. Uh, the first six months of 1922 are are worse even than 1972 uh, in, in terms of, of the absolute scale of, of bloodshed and destruction. And that's largely led by the unionist side well, it, it's, damping it's, down well, any it, possible it's, it's revolt, is it? It's, it's, it's interesting. That it's also partly because the IRA, which at that point was, was on the verge of splitting into the pro- and anti-treaty factions and to a certain extent already had, Michael Collins, who of course was negotiating with James Craig, the new Prime Minister of Northern Ireland, as he of course was negotiating with the British because he was head of the provisional government, believed the one way that you could keep IRA unity was to focus your attention on the one thing that the, the common enemy, which is the, the unionist regime in the north. What it also does, of course, is to get the anti-treaty IRA out of the south while Collins is building up the National Army, which, of course, he's going to put into the field in the Civil so War. So there is a period of about a year between uh, treaty and... Uh, and the Civil War in the south. Uh, an interesting yeah. sort of... Yeah. The eye of the storm. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, there's that six months, but, of course, that itself... Six months, is that Yeah, all? Yeah, roughly speaking, from the summer of... Because, uh, I mean, you know, when you look back at... Uh, what a 15 year period yes absolutely like, yeah. like the, the, the new country uh, when it, it finally began to get on its legs in 1924 full of bitterness full of destruction <laughs> poor yeah. like just what a way to begin I mean if you'd been a betting man or woman in 1911 you're saying in the next 10 years we're going to we're almost going to come to a civil war over home rule we're going to have a severe crisis over female suffrage we're going to have one of Europe's great industrial conflicts in the 1913 lockout. We're going to go through a massive European war, the First World War. We're going to have the rise of physical force Republican. We're going to have the centre of Dublin levelled in a rising. We're going to have a full-scale war of independence. We're going to have tens of thousands of troops deployed. You're going to have Cork burned down. You're going to have uh, Trim, Balbriggan and other places burned down. You're going to have hundreds of people killed. You're going to have the country partitioned. And at the end of it, the one part of the country which was absolutely opposed to home rule, which is the north, is the one part that gets it. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you're going to have the south of the island becoming a self-governing dominion. If you'd said to somebody to that in 1911, they would not have believed you. Uh, but that, that is the story of what happens in Ireland over that 10 years. And we and we live in that country yes. today, and yep. the six counties remain in. Yep, yep. Like it's 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 a it's a living history. It's it a, is well. I mean, the, and of course, the border is still a very live political issue because mm -hmm. of Brexit, which yeah. is coming up. Yeah. Uh, the aforementioned uh, New Year's Eve could, uh, in could, 1920. That there's going to be a, a very interesting. Could it be this on New Year's Day in 19, 2021 because of Brexit? True, and could it be that ultimately? English nationalism brings about well, the unification yes, yes, of Ireland. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
And on that note, we leave again yeah, with exactly. UCC. Thank you very much. Thank this you. is uh, the, the, the conclusion of episode three of the Cork History Matters podcast, where we were looking at the events of 1920. And boy, were they some events. You've been listening to a Red FM podcast. For more extra content, go to redextra.ie.